I'm going to just, just summarize from Daniel chapter 4, which we finished last week. But Daniel chapter 4, it's really interesting. It's the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And you see in Daniel chapter 4, this amazing change in King Nebuchadnezzar. The king who would say, <clears throat> on a routine basis, that I'm going to have whoever disobeys me torn limb from limb and make their house a rubbish heap. When he comes to the Lord and gets saved, when he recognizes that the God of heaven rules, as Daniel put it, when he recognizes that it is the God of Israel who is God, and and what was required of them in the Old Testament, as we read many times in Isaiah, is that they recognize that there is only one God, and it's the God of Israel. And secondly, in Isaiah 42, they, they were to realize that there was salvation in no one else. And he came to that sort of faith in Daniel chapter 4. And his whole demeanor changed. The whole way that he would speak changed. He went from being, this is my kingdom and this is the house that I have built, to speaking and encouraging people. The whole way that he spoke changed. This is what happens to a life which changes. A life that comes to the Lord. The language changes. The way that they speak as they start to get to know God. And I've seen this happen in the lives of so many people when they've come to the Lord. Their hearts change and the way they speak changes. The way they address people changes. And then you see in Daniel chapter 4 that he starts talking about the blessings of God and how heaven has has given these things. And this is what happens, this new realization. So now we're going to move into Daniel chapter 5. And there's, there's a long period of time here that transpired. There's actually 23 years between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. There's a 23-year period. And in fact, Daniel chapter 7 and 8 come before Daniel chapter 4 chronologically. Daniel is not written chronologically. Uh, That wasn't the emphasis in in writing in ancient times. The only two books in, in the Bible that we are told are written chronologically are, are uh, uh, Luke and the book of Acts. But here, here we, we're, we're looking at, at, at uh, um, after Daniel chapter 5 uh, comes Dan, Daniel uh, um, 7 and 8 chronologically. Uh, I'm sorry, after Daniel chapter 4. So but after Daniel chapter 4 to Daniel chapter 5, there's a period of 23 years. And there are several kings that lived after this. So after Daniel chapter 4, And uh, a few years after the accounts that are listed there, Nebuchadnezzar dies. And there are several kings that take over. There's Amel Marduk, sometimes called Ebel Marduk. And he's referenced in Jeremiah 52.31 and 2 Kings 25.27. And and, uh, he reigns from 562 B.C. to 560 B.C., so just for two years. Then there's another king called Murgal Sharnar. And he's 560 to 556. And Labasi Marduk comes and he only reigns for six months. And he's overthrown by Nebonidas. Nebonidas was, was the, the uh, son-in-law of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And he is married, Nebonidas is married to a woman who is the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nitocrius. Nitocrius, he's married to this woman. And how do we know all this? It's not recorded in the Bible. Some of them are mentioned 
it's because in Babylon there was so much history that was well recorded. So we have a record of this. So there, were tw- there was a 23-year period from the end of Daniel chapter 4 to the beginning of Daniel chapter 25. Nebuchadnezzar reigned 43 years. 30 years he was, he was conquering. 13 years he was building up Babylon and building up his pal- palace in Babylon. So a total of 43 years. Remember, it was his first year of his reign that he did the first attack on Israel. The first attack on, on, uh, on, on Jerusalem. And that's Daniel went in that first wave. In that first attack, there were two more attacks over a period of about 19 years. The, the third one culminating where he utterly destroyed and, and burned Jerusalem to the ground. But you, you see that if there were 23 years between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5, and before that, Nebuchadnezzar had reigned 43 years, so then you've got a 66-year period that Daniel has now served. If Daniel was between the ages of 15 and 20 because it references him as a young man, that would make Daniel now between 81 and 86 years old. So Daniel is between 81 and 86 years old in the events that are now starting in Daniel chapter 5. So, that's, so, so he's quite an old man now, but he, and he has served through the entire period of Nebuchadnezzar, and then he has served through those other four kings that we just mentioned. And now, Nebuchadnezzar is king, and Nebuchadnezzar didn't like living in, in uh, Babylon. Didn't care for the palace. He lived in Arabia. And so what he did is he committed to his son the care of Babylon. He appointed his son Belshazzar. He appointed his son Belshazzar as co-regent as number two in the kingdom, and he went and he lived in Arabia. In fact, there was a 14-year period that he never went from Arabia back up to Babylon. He really didn't care to be there. And so when we pick this up in Daniel chapter 5, the person ruling within Babylon is Belshazzar. This is the grandson, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar is reigning now. He is the co-regent. He's number two. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, but he's not living there at the time. And uh, he spent very little time in Babylon. And in fact, by this time, by the time this begins, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king, is actually imprisoned in Persia because he went out to fight against, uh, against uh, uh, King Cyrus of Persia and he was defeated. And King Cyrus took him into Persia and he is now in captivity. So Nebuchadnezzar the king is in captivity when Daniel chapter 5 begins. And the co-regent, who is uh, who is um, the, the the co-regent who is Belshazzar, is the one that we're hearing about. So in verse one of Daniel chapter five, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. Then uh, they, they drank 
the wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So the occasion here is that all the provinces around that city of Babylon have fallen to King Cyrus, to the Medes and the Persians. The, only the city of Babylon is left, and it had these very high walls. I told you last week that the, that the walls, some reports were that the walls were 350 feet high. That's 35 stories. We don't know how accurate that was, but it was in, indeed large. The width at the top of the walls was enough for three chariots to go side by side. That was the width at the top of the walls. So very large walls. There was a moat around the city of Babylon, which was 15 miles square. No other city like it. Remember, the size of Jerusalem, the walled city at the time, was about a third the size of the Rice University campus. Very small. This Babylon was 15 miles square with this wall that went all around it. There was a moat around it, and the river Euphrates ran right through the city. Under the wall, the river Euphrates would come, run right down the middle of the city and right back out. And so it was very hard to defeat that city because you could always get food from the river Euphrates. You could get fish coming in from the river Euphrates if they tried to isolate off the city. It was a big enough river that it was very hard to contaminate. You could capture a small city by contaminating their water supply. They would kill a a donkey, for example, and throw it in there and let it contaminate a water supply. But here you had a river Euphrates, very hard. So actually, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians attacked that city, and the way they ultimately overcame that city is they diverted the river Euphrates. And then they went under where the river Euphrates was going under the wall. That's how they ultimately got in. This is the night in which that's going to happen, and what he does is he calls together, Belshazzar calls together his nobles, and it says for a thousand of his nobles, he's trying to encourage them not to be faint-hearted even though the city is surrounded, even though all the other provinces have fallen, and he's drinking lavishly while his people are trying to defend from the outer wall of that city. He's drinking lavishly. But then he does something that's quite foolhardy. He orders to bring in all the gold and the silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. So remember we talked about this. When Nebuchadnezzar first attacked the city of Jerusalem, what was normal was to go into the temples of the cities that you would attack and take out their foreign gods and put them in a submissive position in your temple before your gods. But there were no foreign gods in Jerusalem because they weren't allowed to have idols in their temple. But there were vessels of service. So they had goblets and they had vessels of service, the fire pans and all of this. And it's reported that there were over 5,000. I think it was 5,400 that he, was ta- he had taken. And we know how many he took because when Cyrus sends back, sends back the, the Israelites back to Jerusalem, he has it counted out for them all the vessels to take back with them. And there it's recorded how many were taken. But these are in some museum of some type of Nebuchadnezzar's that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar knew better than to touch these, what the meaning of these was. Now by this time, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had already come to saving grace in the Lord. He understood who the Lord was. And he never touched these vessels. But Belshazzar, 
in his rebellion. This is not just some unconscious act. You don't just say, oh, well, I, I guess we'll just, I'll give orders and have those vessels which, my, which Nebuchadnezzar took 70 years ago and have them brought in here. No, this was calculated. He had thought about these for a long time. He had probably grown up seeing these in the museum there in Babylon. This is an act of utter defiance against the God of Israel. This is not just happenstance. These are not just normal vessels. Even Nebuchadnezzar himself would never touch these. And Belshazzar knew the conversion that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had gone through. We know that because later on in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel says to him, you knew this. Maybe, maybe Belshazzar had seen his grandfather, had seen the seven-year period in Daniel chapter 4 that, that, Belshazzar, that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had gone through. This seven-year period of dementia when he went, underwent this, this boanthropy, when he thought he was an ox wandering in the wilderness, during which time he underwent his conversion, and then he was restored into his kingdom, as we read in Daniel chapter 4. Maybe as a child he had seen his grandfather wandering out there in the fields, here the great king Nebuchadnezzar wandering like an ox, and resented him. Maybe he saw the conversion of his grandfather, saw the demeanor change, and his grandfather turned from being a ruthless king to being a gracious man. And he resented it. And now he is co-regent. He is running Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is already imprisoned in Persia. And with a defiant act, he calls in for these vessels to be brought in. And in his drunken state, because it says... It says, he was drinking, in verse 1, he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders. So it was after he had begun to drink. He started to lose his senses, and then he calls in these vessels that he had thought about before. This was not happenstance. And he brings them in, and he has... His nobles, his thousands of no, his thousand nobles, start drinking out of them. They may, may well have been apprehensive, especially those who had known Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, who had known the conversion that he had undergone, because Nebuchadnezzar became quite open about his newfound faith in Daniel chapter four, praising the God of the King of Israel, uh, uh, pra- praising the, the King of Israel, God of Israel, and so he. he He calls in his wives, his nobles, his concubines, and he has all of them drink. And then he starts praising the God of the gold vessels. And and, and so this is is an act of of defiant blasphemy. This is not happenstance. In verse 5, Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the walls of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the the Chaldeans and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read the inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom of heaven. Then all the king's wise men came in, 
but they could have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his face grew paler, and his nobles were perplexed. Okay, so this is where we get the expression, the writing on the wall. All of a sudden it says that the fingers... The fingers of a man emerged, a man's hand, and the fingers emerged and started to write opposite the lampstand on the plaster on the wall. That palace, the ruins of that palace have been found, and indeed they are made out of plaster. It was by the lampstand, so it was clearly in the light. It wasn't that there was insufficient light. The scriptures document that it was right there opposite the lampstand. And it was, it was, uh, um, it was written... Some writing was on the wall. A hand was just writing. They saw the back of the hand, but they couldn't see any body. And he becomes so alarmed. It says now the king's face grew pale. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints went slack. So they have to bring him a chair. I mean, he can't stand up. His knees began knocking together. I don't know if you've ever been that scared, but it's not a good feeling. I mean, he can't stand up. His his knees start knocking together. And I think that we might start thinking the same thing if we saw a handwriting on a wall. And he called in all the wise men. You know, go to the university, bring in the professors and call them in and see if they understand what's been written here. And it turns out that from what is written, from what's recorded in this chapter, it turns out it is Old Hebrew. It is not modern Hebrew, it is Old Hebrew. Old Hebrew, they write without the vowels. There are no vowels there. And this is, was very easy for Daniel to interpret when he was brought in. But why wasn't Daniel immediately brought in? Because Daniel is no longer head of the Bible college anymore. He had been under Nebuchadnezzar, but then there were four other kings he had been displaced because we're going to see Belshazzar, this king, doesn't even know him. So we, we go to verse 10. Then the queen entered the banquet hall. Now this must be the queen mother. This must be this, this, this woman, Nitocrius, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, because it says that, that Belshazzar's wives were part of the people who were drinking. So this isn't the queen, this is the queen mother, and that's how she remembers Daniel. So this is Nebuchadnezzar's daughter now comes in. The queen enters the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. forever. Do not your, let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. So she was not there among, among the, revel, the revelers. She came in. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. So you see, she refers to Belshazzar, she refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father. That's really his grandfather. That's very common in those days. In fact, you will hear, you will see the children of Israel refer to Abraham as their father. Even though we're talking about the first century A.D., they refer to Abraham as their father from, from uh, uh, 1,500 years ago. 
How can that be? Because they still refer to him as, as their father. They don't say, my, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great... It's just your father. So that's how they refer to him. This, in verse 12, this is because an extraordinary spirit and knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. So remember, this king's name is Belshazzar. Daniel's name is Belteshazzar. Almost the same. They have the same meaning. It is glorifying one of the gods of Babylon. Remember, Babylonians had more gods than anyone else at the time. This was one of the gods of Babylon. So the same thing that the king named Daniel... Nearly the same name, his grandson is named, who's now functionally the king of Babylon now. And that's why he said that any man who can give me the interpretation is going to be third in the kingdom of Babylon. Why third? Because he himself was the second. Nebuchadnezzar was first. Nebuchadnezzar was still alive, though in captivity. Then you have, have, have Belshazzar. And then he, wants to, he said, I'll, I'll make him third in the kingdom of, heaven, in the, in the kingdom of Babylon. So, verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke to him and said, Daniel, are you that Daniel who is the one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Very interesting. He doesn't refer to Daniel as Belteshazzar. He doesn't refer to him with his Babylonian name. He refers to him as the name Daniel, his Hebrew name. Now remember, the king always referred, King Nebuchadnezzar always referred to Daniel as Belteshazzar, the name he assigned to him. Maybe he didn't want to call him the name because the name was almost the same. And herein he's calling in this, this Hebrew, this Jew, and calling him the same name as his own name. But in that he calls him Daniel, Daniel means, the meaning of Daniel is, God is my judge. How telling what's about to occur. He says, Daniel, which means the God of Israel is my judge. That's what it means. He refers to him as Daniel. Are you that Daniel who is the one of the exiles from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? Verse 14. Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers who were brought in before me, that they might read this inscription and make it its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its inscription, its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. So, he says to Daniel, the offer remains with you. None of the other people could read this. If you can read it and interpret it, you will be made third in the kingdom. Now remember, Daniel is not 15 or 20 years old anymore. He's between 81 and 86 years old. Motivations of people change when they become that age. You know, there, there are things in life they don't really care that much about anymore. 
And this is offered to him. But Daniel knows also that the Medes and the Persians have surrounded that city. That being third in that kingdom isn't necessarily a good position to be in. And so here's what Daniel replies in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. So this is really quite interesting. Here was a direct blasphemy against the God of Israel. And he's dependent on a Jew to come in and give him the interpretation. What you always see in the Scripture is you will see Jews giving the interpretation of dreams, Jews giving the interpretation. You don't see Gentiles giving it to Jews, you see Jews giving the interpretation to Gentiles. Remember what we learned is that this book tells us how it is that we live, that people are to live, people who love God are to live under nations, under governments that don't care much about God. This teaches us how to live. It taught the Jews how to live under governments that are dominated by Gentiles. And since that time, they've lived under governments that were dominated by Gentiles. Even to this day. And it teaches them how to live. It teaches us as believers how to live under governments that are dominated by people who don't know God, how we are to respect them, even though this was a direct blasphemy against the God of Israel, Daniel is giving him this interpretation. And and, uh, here's what Daniel says in verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king... The Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him and all the peoples, nations and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed. And whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, he humbled. So Daniel is recounting to him Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. He says, this is what your grandfather was like. Anyone he wanted to kill, he killed. Anyone he wanted to, to elevate, he elevated. Anyone he wanted to humble, he humbled. This is what he was able to do. In verse 20, But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, He was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and he sets over it whomever he wishes. This is what Nebuchadnezzar came to. That God is the ruler over all of mankind and He sets over it whomever He wishes. That Nebuchadnezzar had not installed himself. Remember what it said in Daniel chapter 1. Nebuchadnezzar, it says that God handed over Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. It was not Nebuchadnezzar who took it. God handed it to him. He handed it to him. He says... When he finally realized that, then things changed. 
He says in verse 22, Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and, you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron and wood, which do not see, hear or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent forth from him, and this inscription was written out. What did him in was this utter act of defiance against against the God of Israel. But you know, these things have been documented. Nothing surprises God. God knows what the actions of men are going to be. And because He knows what the actions are going to be, this was so prophesied. It was prophesied that no one would be able to stand before Nebuchadnezzar. Any nation that he attacked, he conquered. No one could ever stand before him. But it also was written in Jeremiah. So, so, so it was recorded in Jeremiah. Many years before this, 50 years before this event, it was recorded that that kingdom of Babylon will not extend beyond Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Turn to Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah chapter 27. And if you look in, in, uh, in verse 6. Gen- Jeremiah 27 verse 6. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. So it was already prophesied that this kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar would extend to his son and to his grandson and end there. Then the time of Babylon would come to an end. This is exactly what was prophesied. But what we see, what we see, and we will continue on this next week, but what we see is this thought. Nebuchadnezzar knew the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar had openly witnessed of the Lord and witnessed of his conversion in Daniel chapter 4. This was well documented in Babylon. Yet the grandson, having known this, Daniel says, you knew this, made an open act of rebellion against this God of his grandfather. Who knows? Maybe maybe Belshazzar, the grandson had seen the humbling of the grandfather, had seen his grandfather eating grass like an ox and detested him from that point, going through that humbling period. Maybe he had seen the way his father's demeanor had changed, how he went from being this grand king who would just crush people down with his thumb to being a king who was a gracious man, who would speak peace and blessing upon the people, and he resented it. Just remember this. If your parents know the Lord and your parents have an act of failure in their lives, don't hold it so harshly against them. Sure, Nebuchadnezzar had an act of humbling that he went through in his life. 
And Belshazzar resented his coming back to the Lord. Belshazzar resented this whole conversion experience of his grandfather where he took the very vessels and openly and defiantly mocked his grandfather's faith. Mocked the faith of his fathers. We need to learn to remain humble in the, in the state. Many of you have parents that have gone through failures that weren't the perfect parents, but don't hold that resentment. Let it go. Because the very thing that you think hurt you most, if you don't let this thing go, if you don't walk in forgiveness, you will do the same thing to your child. You say, you don't, you don't know this. Well, I've seen it again and again. You end up doing the very thing that was done to you. You need to learn to walk into forgiveness and walk in humility. And the other thing is, they were ashamed. They were ashamed. He, Belshazzar was ashamed for the things that his father went through, so much so that he would even bring it to a point of mocking it. Don't be ashamed of the faith of your parents if they love the Lord. Don't be ashamed of that. You might think, oh, my parents go to such an extreme. They give away so much. They do this. They, they get on their knees when they pray. How archaic. Don't be ashamed about that. This is a glory. These are good things that they do. Honor that. You see these very tendencies in this young man that he resented the faith of his grandfather so much so that he was going to openly mock it and openly come against the faith of his grandfather. And we're going to see the results of that next week. The results of what, we're going to hap- what was going to happen to Belshazzar who proclaimed upon himself God be my judge by saying Daniel. By saying, uttering those very words, refusing to even give him a name that sounded like his own, it brought on his own fate. God is my judge. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, I pray for these young people that you draw them to a place of deep and utter respect for the word of God. Deep respect for the things of faith. Deep respect for the Bible. Father, as we live in a world that mocks the Word of God, that mocks the truth of it, that mocks the Bible and says it's not real and these things never happened and it it has no power. Father, I pray that for these young people here, You would build in them a deep and abiding respect for the Word of God and that they would fear You and fear Your Word. Father, that You would bring them to a place of humility before You. Father, that they would honor You and not forget the God who has so demonstrated life. Father, I pray that You bring them into a place of forgiveness, into a place of walking in forgiveness toward their parents. Father, if they've been hurt, if they've been abused, that they'd learn to walk in forgiveness. Father, I pray that You do this in their hearts. May they never forget You. May they always remember this God who has done and opened up so much in their lives. And Father, for those here who don't know You, Abba, Father, I pray that You draw them to a place that they would come to know You. They would come to see that Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, lives and lives forever. And that He has shown them the way. 
Father, that they'd come to faith in You through the power of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, open their hearts this day, I pray. And I commit them to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.